Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, we're going to be joined by Michael Heastand. He is the sports media columnist with USA Today. We'll break down NBC's coverage of the Beijing Summer Olympics and let you know exactly where you can find the record-setting amount of coverage that you'll be able to find on network and cable TV as well as online. That's coming up in segment three. In segment four, SportsSense, Rick Buecher. He's ESPN's NBA insider. Several NBA players have jumped from the NBA for more lucrative contracts overseas this offseason, including former Atlanta Hawks player Josh Childress. There's also word this week that one foreign team may be preparing an offer of $50 million per season for Cavaliers superstar LeBron James when he becomes a free agent in the year 2010. Is this going to be a trend? We'll discuss. I'll also chat with Rick about the U.S. men's basketball team and their chances for gold in Beijing. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Several big headlines this week. The long-awaited Beijing Olympic Games are underway. And NFL legend Brett Favre is on his way to the New York Jets after his long, dramatic saga with the Green Bay Packers is finally over. How will playing in the Big Apple increase Favre's marketability? And how will the trade help the Jets business-wise? We're going to discuss that in our next segment. Lots of headlines coming your way. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training. Sports business curriculum taught by industry experts and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. This is Sports Business Radio. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, it's been a long time in the making, but the Beijing Summer Olympics are underway. Look for comprehensive coverage from NBC on TV and online, we're going to discuss that with Michael Heastan from USA Today. He's their sports media columnist. That's in our next segment. Security, pollution, politics, and media censorship will also be huge storylines off the field of competition. As I've been saying, I was in China last September. A lot of these things are very clear to see. And don't forget, this is a communist country where the Olympics are being held. Big, big uh 
security presence there. As a matter of fact, China is spending $6.5 billion on security for these games, which is more than the $4.5 billion they're expected to earn from the people visiting China attending the games. Now, if you ask me which athlete has more pressure on him than any other in these games, I'm going to tell you it's a Chinese athlete who has the weight of the 1.3 billion people in China on his shoulders, and that's Liu Shang. He won the gold medal in Athens for the 110-meter hurdles on August 21st. If you watch one event, you're going to want to watch the finals of the 110-meter hurdles and see if Liu Shang can do his country proud. One of the things I learned from visiting the Olympic training facilities in China, boy, if you do not win gold, you are an outcast. There is more pressure on these Chinese athletes than any athletes I can ever remember, definitely, than any U.S. athlete. Our next headline, Brett Favre, the NFL's career leader in passing yards and touchdowns, has been traded to the New York Jets. Finally, this ordeal seems to be over. The Jets will surrender a conditional draft pick that could become a first-round pick if Favre takes 80% of the Jets' snaps and leads the team to the Super Bowl. There's also a poison pill that requires the Jets to give up three first-round picks to the Packers if they trade Favre to a team in the Packers' division. So it's pretty safe to say that Favre's days in the NFC North are over. Now, Favre's number four Jets jersey, things are selling briskly. Day one, the trade was announced. 3,000 jerseys were sold. If you go to NFLshop.com or Jets.com, you can find the jerseys, and they are selling like hot capes. I would bet that the Favre Jets jersey will be the number one selling jersey in all of the NFL this season. Now, keep in mind the Jets are moving into a new stadium in two more years. That's in 2010. So this is going to help them with ticket sales, sponsorships. It's also going to help them compete in New York, where don't forget they can beat against the defending champion Giants, the New York Yankees, the Mets. This will help catapult them onto the front pages, and that is such an important media market. It's going to be interesting to see how Favre deals with the New York media. He's basically going from the smallest NFL market in Green Bay to the biggest NFL market in New York. Now, let's remember that Brett Favre is the cover boy for Madden NFL 09. It's being released this Tuesday. Well, guess what? When the game is released on Tuesday, it's still going to feature Favre in his Green Bay Packers uniform, despite the fact that Favre was traded to the Jets this week. But publisher Electronic Arts said it's releasing a downloadable update to make Favre a Jet in the game, as well as a new cover for anyone who wants that. That's our story on Brett Favre. We'll have lots more on that in weeks ahead. Our last headline of the week, boy, TNT and CBS picked the wrong year to have the rights to carrying golf's fourth major of the year. Not only is the PGA Championship going head-to-head with the Summer Olympics this weekend, but they're doing so without the biggest draw in golf, Tiger Woods in the field. I would expect the TV ratings from this weekend to be some of the lowest ratings for a golf major on TV in years. Uh, Unless Phil Mickelson, Sergio Garcia, some of those people are in the field and in the final groups come tournament end, it's going to be miserable TV ratings for CBS come this weekend. Coming up next, Michael Heastan from USA Today. He is their sports media columnist, and these Olympics are going to be covered like none other in the history of the games. Not only are you going to see 
many, many hours, thousands of hours on TV, but you're also going to see the Olympics presented to you online like never before. We're going to talk about that next with Michael Heastan, the sports media columnist from USA Today. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Night divides a day. Try to run, try to hide. Break on Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Michael Heastan. He's the sports media columnist for USA Today. He's been on our show before. Michael, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. You're very welcome. So, Michael, let's talk about the Beijing Olympic Games. They're getting started this weekend over in Beijing. Much anticipation for these games. NBC paid a truckload of money for the rights to these Olympics. Obviously, they've done the Olympics the last few years. They have London in 2012 coming up. How much did NBC pay for the rights to these Beijing Olympics? They paid uh, $894 million. And that's probably, I would assume, the most that's ever been paid for an Olympic Games. It seems to go up every year. Right. It's like Super Bowl ads. Yeah, no kidding. Um, the... They're going to carry this across so many different platforms. I see they're going to have seven TV channels. They're going to have about 700 hours on TV. Then they've got uh, 2,200 live hours on the Internet and then 3,000 on-demand taped highlight events. It looks like they're going to be all over this like they've never been before, especially the online component. Yeah, and it's funny how um, this has evolved because a few years ago they would swear to you that it would never be online at all and never be on cable. Now, the original thing with cable, um, which dates back with CBS and, and Turner to in the 90s on the Winter Games, the original hesitation was that NBC affiliates wouldn't like it, that they could bill themselves as the exclusive place of the Olympics. So, for instance, in the 1996 Atlanta Olympics, even with all the interest of a domestic Olympics, all there was was just a standard NBC primetime. Lots and lots of sports literally didn't get one second of TV time. They got over that. They realized that they were wasting lots and lots of tonnage. The world TV feed, most networks just show up with a very small crew, use the world TV feed, and just have a few people to interview their own athletes. Captures every second of, of, of the competition, and it's done by experienced guys. They'll have American uh, production guys doing the basketball, for instance. It's really good, has lots of cameras. Um, so they said, well, we're letting this go to waste. Let's put it on some of the cable channels as they began to own and develop cable channels. Then they said, never, ever can we put it online. And there are a couple of technical reasons for that, which everyone in the world would have agreed with. It used to be you'd put something online, 
and would play havoc with every country's TV rights. So if the Finnish network put something online, NBC would go, hey, we're exclusive for the U.S., you know, the network from Japan would go, we're exclusive there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the other thing is, if you think back, before too many people had broadband, people said, you know, who really wants to watch sports online anyway? It would sort of freeze up. Well, more people got broadband, and so watching video of any type uh, became uh, easier and more desirable. You could have maybe predicted that, but what people didn't predict was that they'd effectively be able to black out audiences on the Internet. That's what allowed Major League Baseball to show all these games online. They can black out, based on your Internet address, certain places, right down to the cities with TV rights, say, in a baseball game. So, in other words, NBC can send things just to America. Now, at past several past Olympics, other foreign networks have been putting thousands of hours online. Um, NBC's sort of late to this rather than, than early. But the main point is it's something they already own. My little analogy is using all parts of the buffalo, like we're taught growing up that Native Americans would, you know, use the bones and everything, whereas the white hunters would just come and take the pelt. They own all this stuff anyway. Throwing, Hitting a switch to throw it online doesn't cost them anything. Um, they don't have commentators on that because the world feed, obviously, with all the different languages around the world doesn't come with commentary, so they're just going to hire live bloggers who could be sitting in their living room. Of course, they'll be, they'll be in New York, but um, to watch the action along with everyone else and do commentary. So it's incredibly cheap. So any eyeballs they pick up are just free. Yeah, I mean, it's really incredible with the online uh, component. You discussed in your column this week that uh, some of the people, you know, you mentioned the bloggers, but you mentioned some of the people actually calling some of the events that are on TV and online are going to be in the Saturday Night Live studios calling the action instead of in Beijing. Talk about that, if you would, for a minute. Yeah, and for instance the U.S. women's soccer team losing to Norway, and Brandy Chastain and the other people they had, were, they were, NBC was pretty honest about it, were sitting in a huge backdrop of the New York skyline. And the, the thing of it is, that's how most Olympic action around the world is called, including some past stuff on NBC, but most people around the world call it off the of monitors. And ESPN does it routinely, that they'll have big Europeans. They'll literally do thousands of games a year, a lot of foreign soccer games, called off of monitors in, uh, at their offices in Connecticut. But the reason why you do it, the reason why there's no point in anybody calling action off of a world TV feed to actually go to any stadium is because once you're calling off a world TV feed, not with your own production team, you're responding to whatever pictures the world TV feed is giving you. Sure. The, the reason people on NFL or NBA games or whatever it is bother to go to a, an event is if John Madden goes, you know, um, you know the guy who's a special team coach for the Cowboys does blah, 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 blah. And the producer and director hear that, and they show you a camera shot of the special teams coach. Or, right. Gee, this guy's got to get back in the game. I wonder how he's doing. So the producer and director hear that, and they cut to the guy on the bench getting taped up or whatever it is. Well, if you can't do that and you're at a stadium and go, wow, that guy looks you know, injured or something, and he's not on the screen and nobody can put him on the screen for you, you're better off not even knowing about it because you'll be talking to, about something and a viewer would go, hey, show me, and you can't. Right. 
So let me ask you about this, the online coverage. It seems like, you know, we've heard all these promotions from NBC about how many hours of online coverage they're going to provide live. But it still seems like they're saving their best, most marquee events for TV, and they won't be showing those events live online. Is that correct? That's correct. And that's a good point. And that, that's what makes this a lot simpler for everyone to understand than I think people are making it. The... That $894 million we talked about, the rights fee, you could say you know, 90% of that went for the prime time. Those are the huge, gigantic audiences. That's where they sell the uh, expensive commercials. That's what drives the train. And basically, Olympics after Olympics, there's four main sports that do it for mass American audiences, which uh, Olympic primetime audiences are, are pretty much the only ones in sports that are majority female, slight hmm. majority, but it's a reversal. And that is gymnastics, um, swimming, diving, and, um, and some of the marquee track events. And so the fact of the matter is, you know, these Olympics go all over the place. They're held here. They're held in Europe. They're held in Asia. They could be held on the moon. <laughs> but whatever time zone the moon might be, they're right. going to save those big sports and any other you know, traditional big marquee things that American audiences like for prime time period. It, people always think, oh, they'll do it. Because what happens is what they've basically bought the rights for is to show the video of Olympic action for the first time in the United States. And it can happen at weird time zones if it's in Australia or easy time zones if it's in Salt Lake. But that's what they've bought the right for, rights for, and they're going to put it when most eyeballs are gathered around, and they'll string you along. Let's say, you know, there's something really good, and they never say, okay, it's going to come on at 1045. Oh, they string us along so much. Now, if if that had already happened at 3 in the afternoon, you're like, you know, I might not sit through this four hours tonight. I mean, look at the, by far, the biggest, highest-rated nights of the Olympics. I mean, they'd be good Super Bowl numbers. We'll never see anything like it again, where the two nights of uh, Tanya and Nancy, right. the Lillehammer Olympics. Well, you know, they had that on live radio hours and hours earlier. It was in Norway, whatever it was, five, six-hour difference from the East Coast. So, yeah, you, you already heard that, you know, Tanya cried when her skate lace broke or whatever it is. They got, you know, 44 ratings. It, it's about prime time, and basically the only thing they've changed is you know, we're still, the filet mignon we're serving up is still where we're making our money. But you know what? Let's use something with the gristle and the, and the stuff. We, we'll make some broth and maybe somebody will buy that, you know, with all the stuff we've been throwing away. And maybe they'll watch it online or maybe they'll watch it on, you know, CNBC in the middle of the night or whatever it is. I'm joined by Michael Heastan. He's the sports media columnist for USA Today. You can find him online at usatoday.com. Michael, uh, let's talk about ESPN and some of the other networks that want to cover these games, but obviously there's restrictions because NBC has the exclusive rights. If you're ESPN, how do you effectively cover these games? When can you show highlights? Well, it's a funny story because they really are like a a little gorilla in a past Olympics where I've gone. They, They literally will try to find, you know, call somebody's agent and meet somebody in a bar or set up a little apartment and have a set because it's completely unlike any U.S. events. 
you're right. First of all, the Olympics has a bunch of guys walking around with the rifles wherever they are, and they may or may not speak your language, and they could care less. They've never heard of NBC or ESPN or USA Today or whatever it is. They don't care. They don't want to know. It's all about badges. And if you're not a rights holder, national rights holder, whether you're from Romania or America, you cannot take any recording device into any venue. And the athletes have these mixed zones where they stand around and they can talk to anyone they want to or not. I mean, it. this stuff is all locked down. This is not like the locker room at an NFL game where anybody can wander in and, you know, get a, get a sound bite from whoever. And um, that's a big part of what you're paying for it. And since the TV rights fund the Olympics, the uh, Olympic organizers know you get guys to keep in and guys to keep out, and that's what is bringing this money in, whether they're Belgians or Americans or whoever. Um, in terms of rules about highlights, you can show – uh, it's like a, I'm trying to remember it. It's a little different. ESPN gets a little bit more because it was part of that um, trading Al Michaels for the Disney character. Ah, do you remember that? I do remember that. And it was sort of an odd package of things. They they got back the old uh, predecessor of Mickey Mouse, and they got a ES, ESPN got a, to let Al Michaels out of his contract to go to Sunday Night Football. They they got a couple more minutes. I believe it's six minutes of highlights um, only on a regularly scheduled news show. In other words, you can't just cut in and go, here, we're going to show you this. And, um, and, and the gist of it is ESPN and everybody else, you can't show it uh, until some time. Let's say NBC signs off at 1230 Eastern. I believe you can't really show it for at least a couple of hours. The gist of it is, is you can't really show much. I mean, for, for ESPN or anybody else wanting to do stuff with the Olympics, you can, you can pop in a few highlights here and there well after the fact, but, you know, it, it, it's not going to be like one of those Sunday night highlight shows from NFL games where it's just like highlight after highlight after highlight for games that have just ended. I mean, it's, it's pretty restricted. At some point, ES, or NBC wants people to show some highlights just to help with the promotion right. of the game. But, you know, you're, you're totally shut out if you're not a rights holder, and a, there's no comparison to anything in America. Michael, last question for you. I was over in Beijing about a year ago, and I saw firsthand what the media censorship is like, and that's been a huge story so far. There's a lot of, uh, you know, Western civilized networks that are afraid that if they say the wrong thing, whether it's about pollution or politics or anything like that, that the the feed, the plug may be pulled. Do you mm -hmm. think that that is a legitimate concern? Do you think that's going to be a storyline with these Olympics? Mm, there might be a couple of, ep uh, of episodes. The reason I don't think it'll be a storyline is because it's, it's much bigger than that. And it's a thing uh, that's hard for people to deal with. And, and this is what I mean. With a, let's say the Olympics brings in about a billion dollars in, in um, advertising money for NBC. And, and for a couple of weeks helps the, the, the ratings of the Today Show and the Evening News and Jay Leno. And, and, you know, that's nice. And they'll say we made 50 bucks out of or five, 50 million dollars. It's all pretty much small potatoes to General Electric, whose revenues are something like $140 billion. 
and the fastest growing part of General Electric is their China business. I mean, now we're talking like billions and billions and billions through the coming years. And, of course, China <clears throat> is pretty much unlike every other country in the world, certainly unlike, you know, uh, Athens or Australia or some other recent sites, Italy for Olympics, where people don't really care about doing business there all that much. Anyway, the larger thing is when, you know, the last synchronized swimming medal has been awarded and, and you know, people come home in a couple of weeks, China is a gigantic part of a huge, gigantic multinational GE. Right. So, you know, even if you showed some negative thing and even if you thought it would get you one more rating point one night, which I'm not sure it would, the larger picture is that. So, you know, China doesn't really want to hassle GE and GE doesn't really want to hassle China. And, and to some of these other media companies, whether it's Time Warner and CNN or News Corp and the various uh, outlets they have in Asia and, and uh, in Europe, et cetera, I mean, it, it's a way bigger thing than, um, you know, neither the corporations don't want to anger China and China doesn't really want to anger corporations, but they have the power here. It's, it's the larger stories of corporations don't want to anger. So they'll do stuff just so it makes it seem objective, but you know, they're trying to sell programming and whether it's good or bad, most people in America, you know, don't really care about what happens in China every day. It's a, it's a long way from their lives. And at some point you're just, you could argue you're boring viewers anyway. Well, Michael, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us on Sports Business Radio. You can read Michael Heastan online every day at usatoday.com or pick up a copy of USA Today at local newsstands. Michael, thanks for taking the time to join us. You're very welcome. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu, and they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one -on -one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Rick Buecher. He's the senior writer for ESPN the magazine. He's their NBA insider. He's a frequent guest on this show. Rick, I uh, hope you're having a good summer. How you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, I have had some time off, although the NBA clearly never sleeps. If it's not one thing, it's another, and free agency market and uh, the Team USA playing in the Olympics is uh, continuing the drama 
of uh, NBA basketball. Yeah, so let's talk about a few of those things. Uh, Josh Childress, formerly of the Atlanta Hawks, has seemingly opened the floodgates for NBA players to sign contracts with teams abroad. A report yep. came out this week that Cavalier star LeBron James may be getting an offer of $50 million per season from the multi-billionaire owners of the Greek team that that signed Childress. So here's the deal, Rick. Uh, foreign teams don't have a salary cap like right. NBA teams do, so they can offer someone $50 million a year, and there's no cap for them that restricts them. Do you right. think, you know, I saw this week also Earl Boykins is the latest player to sign. He looks like he's going to be playing over in Italy. Teams are obviously being more aggressive, and agents are being more aggressive with looking at foreign teams as an option for their clients. Do you think this right. is going to become a trend? I, I, I honestly, I don't. Uh, this, there are two factors here that are driving this current. Uh, one is the fact that uh, the euro is uh, doing so well against the dollar that our economy and the value of the dollar has dropped so much that uh, the, the numbers are different, significantly different. Uh, and two, that we're in a place with the salary cap, not because, just because teams are all capped out and aren't willing to spend a whole lot of money, but because everybody is gearing towards the uh, next summer and, most importantly, 2010, when they want to have a shot at all of the uh, marquee players that are going to be available. So as a result, the market is squeezed right now. And you mentioned LeBron James, who is one at one end of the spectrum, while Earl Boykins is at, at the other. And you could, you could look at this as a trend, or you could look at Josh Childress in particular as being a unique individual in that he was a American-born, American-developed player who spurned an NBA contract to go to Europe. He's the first of his kind. Earl Boykins really didn't have a whole lot of options over here. Uh, it's not as if uh, the, the other guys that we're talking about, even a Carlos Arroyo, uh, who signed with, uh, with Tel Aviv McAfee, that, that he was... He had a whole lot of options over here for money that was significantly better than what he could get over there. So I, I really I, I don't see this as, an, as a trend. And, the, and as for LeBron James or any superstar, you know, it sounds good, $50 million. And, and surely if somebody actually put that on the table, it would be hard to say no to. But the marketing ability, if he's playing in Greece, do you really think that his, uh, his desire to be a global icon would be served better to be playing on a team in Greece that has no TV rights, that has no worldwide uh, television capability, as opposed to playing in the NBA uh, and, and being on uh, you know, every station around the globe? It sounds good. Uh, and $50 million is a big chunk of uh, money for him personally, but I don't know that it necessarily uh, drives the desire that he has, which is to be known worldwide. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the whole storyline here is, look, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, uh, Chris Bosh, all those guys are going to get max deals from someone yep. in the yep. year 2010. So even using this as leverage, 
the NBA teams, like we discussed already, can only give you so much. They can't compete with a $50 million offer. But I think right. what agents are going to do for the lower-tiered guys and the middle-of-the-road guys like Josh yep. Childress, they're going to now yep. say, I've got this offer in my pocket. It's right. much more lucrative than what you're offering me. Unless you match it, we're going overseas. Right, but here's the, here's the flip side. And certainly they're going to do that. But the number of clients that are willing to go to Europe I mean, it's, you have to be a cultured individual. You, uh, if, if you have a family, uh, it means your kids are going to uh, a foreign study school. Uh, it, it means a, a lot of dramatic changes that, on the face of it, uh, if you are uh, a single guy uh, or, I mean, and, and you're talking about most uh, NBA, NBA players, they're probably just starting families, uh, and at, at the end of the day, I'm just not sure that you're going to have a large number of guys who are sophisticated enough, open-minded enough, cultured enough that they would say, oh, yeah, live in Italy, uh, live in Estonia, uh, you know, live in Moscow. Uh, sure, I'll do that at the drop of a hat. I know a number of guys who have originally, uh, initially done it, said it, uh, gone over, and they've lasted about a month or two, and they've come back. And the one other element, whether it's $50 million or it's $5 million, is the fact that some of these European teams, if you don't deliver uh, as far as wins, as far as uh, attraction, as far as uh, box office, <laughs> they'll just say, hey, you know what? We're not paying you, uh, and 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 a lot of guys have no recourse. There are any number of players who have run into that. So this whole idea that that Europe suddenly is a viable uh, contestant for NBA talent is just not realistic. We're joined by Rick Buecher. He's ESPN's NBA insider. He writes for ESPN the magazine. You can also find him online at ESPN.com. Rick, uh, let's talk about the Olympics. We alluded to that earlier. Obviously, USA Basketball has been a big disappointment so far this decade. Uh, They're trying to get some redemption and win the gold medal this time around. They've seemingly uh, turned the ship around a little bit and seem more like a team and less like a collection of of superstars. Do you think that they're going to be able to win the gold medal in Beijing, or do you see cause for concern? I see cause for concern. Certainly they are a candidate to win the gold. By no means are they a prohibitive favorite. And what I'm truly hoping is that uh, if they don't win the gold for all that we have committed and for all that we've seen from these players in terms of their willingness to put in extra time training, uh, their their unselfishness playing the game, uh, the the chemistry that, that our teams have, that we recognize that this is not a uh, indictment of our players. Uh, it's not an indictment of their commitment to playing for Team USA, and it is a inherent flaw in the difference between NBA basketball and the international game, right. and the way we are composing our teams. Because we have, 
done what we can to create chemistry. The players themselves are showing a tremendous amount of unselfishness in the way they play. But the bottom line is that we are taking superstars from each individual team, and they are used to playing a superstar role. They are used to being volume shooters. Well, you can't get that many guys going when they're used to taking 25 shots a game. You can't expect them to go in and take five or six and be efficient. That's a whole different role. And when you don't do that the majority of the year, expecting them to come in and suddenly play different roles and be the best in the world at it is just, uh, it's a little unrealistic. So, you know, my feeling is, is that there's some other changes need to be made and that this cannot be, as it continues to be, a market um, for the NBA. We're going to have to, we're, it's cross-purposes. We're going to have to make a decision. Do we want to win gold? Do we want to build a team that can win gold? Or do we want a team that is going to showcase the NBA? It's going to be one or the other. And, uh, and, and at this point, they're mutually exclusive. You cannot pick a team that is going to have superstar players, by and large, on the roster and put them all on the floor and expect them to play a uh, foreign game uh, against teams that are, are simply more, they're, they're more of a team. They, it's been demonstrated that no matter how much individual talent there is, no, how, no matter how much unselfishness there is, that a team that is well-honed and everyone knows their role, in a one-and-out situation, we are always going to be vulnerable to losing. Yeah, I mean, you bring up such good points about how this is a marketing tool for the NBA. I mean, from the uniforms that Nike's rolled out to, you know, all the different media opportunities we've seen with these players, it looks more like a, a media showcase than it is an actual, you know, go to Beijing and, and perform and win gold. Rick, let me ask you this. Do you think that the U.S. would be better off sending the league champion, and in this case, the Boston Celtics, to compete? Because that is more of a team they've played together all year long. Uh, they have some of the things that you know you have described maybe missing with the current collection of uh, talent that they're sending over to Beijing. Do you think that's a solution? That's, I, that's unfair to the Boston Celtics because now you've won a championship and you have the added drain and pressure of representing the country, uh, I, I just think the beat, ta- beat down, I, I would guarantee this, you would, n- you would never see in an Olympic year uh, or a world championship year, you would never see a team repeat because they would just be exhausted. They would be beaten, would be beaten to death. Uh, you know, they, they, they would be out of gas by, by December or January, and they would, they would incur all sorts of injuries. What I feel is, you need to make a decision in terms of, uh, of who your superstar, maybe one or two superstar players every year. Maybe it's Darren Williams. I'm just going to throw this out. Darren Williams and Dwight Howard. Those are your two superstar players, and now you are going to take role players uh, to fill out the rest of the, ro- of the roster. You're going to take Kyle Korver. You're going to take... Uh, Quentin Ross. I'm just I'm just throwing out names. Shane Battier. Uh, 
a Shane Battier, you're going to take players that don't have the same beatdown in terms of minutes and responsibility to their NBA team, or you're going to go and you're going to take players, you're going to take these European players that we're talking about who play under those rules all year, who know the talent they're going against, and even more important, and this is one element that you can't underestimate here, is that for every player that, uh, by and large, every player that we play against, this is their Super Bowl, their NBA Finals, right. and their NCAA tournament rolled into one. If they can beat Team USA, it is the be-all and end-all of their career. That motivation simply can't be matched no matter how much patriotism you may think any one individual has. You're just working at a deficit. I mean, look, they beat, uh, they beat Australia by 11, and everybody is, uh, is, is saying that the sky is falling, and deservedly so. But that's the pressure we're under. We can't win by enough to justify what everybody expects. Now, if this wasn't a team of NBA superstars, then you would have guys that would have that motivation factor on our end and it would also take something away from our opponents because now they're, it's, it's not a notch on their belt if they're beating Earl Boykins because, let's face it, yeah, you know, you beat Earl Boykins. It's not quite the same as saying that you beat LeBron James. Rick, last question for you. Uh, Greg Oden, Derek Rose, Michael Beasley, there's going to be some pretty intriguing rookies to watch this season. Of course, Oden uh, didn't play at all last year, so he's eligible for Rookie of the Year, and this will be the first time right. he steps on the court as an NBA player. Which rookie do you think is going to have the biggest impact this season? Boy, an impact in terms of statistics. Uh, I mean, Michael Beasley right now, I would expect, is going to have the best numbers if uh, if he and Pat Riley can coexist, and that's that's a big if. Derek Rose, I would expect, is going to have the biggest impact as far as uh, as wins and losses, I honestly believe that that he's going to make a huge difference for Chicago. But but this is going to be a very intriguing draft because you're going to have some guys like uh, like Robin Lopez uh, or, or either one of the, the the Lopez twins who are going into teams. Uh, you're going to see guys like that who are going to come in and they're going to play significant roles and they're going to have better numbers than you would expect for a guy taken that far down in the draft. No, I think you're exactly right, and uh, it definitely should be interesting to watch. Rick, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Guests appearing during our Sports Sense segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses, Morton's the Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest you, go online to mortons.com. Rick Buecher, you can read him online at ESPN.com. You can pick up ESPN the magazine and read him there as well. Always a pleasure to catch up with you. Thanks for joining us. You got it, Brian. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. 
Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Well, the USOC should be absolutely ashamed of themselves this week, in my opinion. After the Chinese government Tuesday revoked the visa of U.S. gold medal winning speed skater and human rights group Team Darfur co-founder Joey Cheek, USOC officials dismissed the move as a matter between the Chinese government and a private citizen. Way to get involved, USOC. Kudos to Cheek who has used his platform to take a stand on important issues, but it looks like the USOC is more concerned with not jeopardizing the Chicago bid to host the 2016 Olympics than it is with backing athletes they should be proud of, like Cheek. How many times do we ask our athletes to take a stand for something that matters? Cheek has done so, and the USOC throws them under the bus. They should be ashamed of themselves. A lot of thank yous on our show this week. Our guest, Rick Buecher, from ESPN, Michael Heastan from USA Today, our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harrison, Doug Zanger, our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training, a podcast reminder. You can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. We're one of the leading podcasts under the iTunes business news section, so you might check us out there as well. We have lots more Olympic coverage to bring you next week, more on the Brett Favre developing story as well. I'm Brian Berger. Have a fantastic week. You've been listening to Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com.